It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Everyone Talks to Liz. I hope you're all doing well and finding your source of light during these dark times. I know that many of you have stumbled. We have all had to feel our way through the coronavirus crisis. We're all learning how to adapt to a new and, uh, in many cases, uncomfortable world. But that is why we're talking to this week's podcast guest, because he has a story of trudging through the unknown to find his footing and then to find huge success that if you shop online, his success has touched you in your world. Well, look, honestly, his dark times were colored a different shade of gray from what many of us are experiencing right now. I'm bringing you his story because there are echoes and I know it will bring you some light and inspiration. Max Levchin, co-founded PayPal and is today the founder and CEO of Affirm, the company that lets you buy what you want and pay what you want when you need to. Max, thanks so much for being on Everyone Talks to Liz. How are you doing? What's life for for you like right now? Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, You know, all things kept equal, life is pretty amazing. I am surrounded by loving family, cooped up in a house in San Francisco where the weather is sunny and beautiful and eerily empty. And um, it seems uh, seems the world has hit pause. Obviously, as soon as you open the news, everything changes. But uh, as far as my inner peace is concerned, it's actually doing quite well. Yeah, we have to count our blessings. It's so true. Whatever we think is horrible in our lives, so many people have it a lot worse. Uh, but, you know, when I intro to you, I talked about how your experience when you were growing up echoed a little bit of the uncertainty and unknown that we're all facing right now. I say echo or rhyme. It's not an exact mirror. But let's talk about that because you actually uh, emigrated from Ukraine to the United States when you were young how old were you? And it was a forced emigration, I believe. You had to run. Talk about that. Uh, uh, sure. Uh, so I was born in Soviet Union. Ukraine is, the, that's what we call it today, uh, now that it's gained its independence. But uh, I was a, a good Soviet boy uh, until the age of 16. I just turned 16 when my family landed in uh, JFK. Uh, and um, we left as refugees. So I, I came to the U.S. as a refugee. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was a force a little strong in the sense that the Soviet Union authorities weren't exactly telling us to get out, but, uh, you know, uh, may have had a little bit to do with the fact that uh, anti-Semitism in Soviet Union was on a rapid rise as the country was slowly crumbling around us and uh, the Afghanistan war that so Union did uh, uh, was coming to a rapid close with a, with a failure or, or defeat. So the, the whole place was sort of a, in, in a particularly dark moment and um, the precipitation or the, the, the event that triggered our attempts to escape 
was the uh, nuclear power station at Chernobyl that blew up about 90 miles north of where I was born. And uh, from that point on, my parents uh, were on the, uh, hey, we gotta, we gotta get out of here before we're buried under the radioactive cloud or quest. You attended uh, schools in the Soviet Union. You spoke Russian, I would imagine. You did not exactly speak perfect English. Uh, why did they pick America, specifically Chicago? Um, Chicago was a consequence of having exactly one close enough relative in this world who had somehow managed to make it to the United States in the 70s, who had a little bit of an established base. So they were not to sort of get too far into the historical uh, Soviet Union uh, immigration waves, but there were multiple openings when the country was sufficiently loose with its immigration or exit policy where people could sneak out or sneak out legally. And uh, there was one a while back, and there was one in the late 70s, which is when my grand uncle managed to get out. And then in the late 80s, very early 90s, the, um, if you remember, uh, Operation Exodus, which was the push by American Jews to allow Jews experiencing persecution in Soviet Union to leave legally and become political refugees. Uh, and that's what, that was a program under which we were able to uh, get permission to enter the U.S. and Soviet Union. In fact, you know, my temple back then, Temple Beth Am in Los Angeles, uh, was part of that. And my dad mm. took a very focused part of that. It was sort of an underground railroad where he would help Soviet Jewish doctors emigrate, come to L.A. and set up their offices because he had one little extra office and he would let them come in, study to pass their boards in English. Can you imagine? And well, become uh, doctors all over. Yeah, uh, I, I actually remember feeling, uh, I, I grew up in a place where there was exactly one temple and it was not open until very, very late 80s when the Soviet Union just stopped caring about such things. So first thing, one of the shocking moments I realized that uh, in Chicago, they had lots of temples. It was the strangest thing. But every temple in Chicago had a big sign that said Operation Exodus. And I remember yes. that's a gratitude over and over again going, oh, wow, that's another one. And these people <laughs> let us in. That's so nice. Yeah. And, and, and boy, did they let you in. And <laughs> you went to University of Illinois and then you co-founded PayPal. That to me is perfect example of why we must allow immigration, because look at all the jobs that that has, of course, sprung up and sprouted, not to mention the subsequent startups that you have come up with. But you attended University of Illinois. PayPal became your startup. Walk us through the brainstorming process for coming up with that idea and how difficult it was. So a little bit of background on the University of Illinois, which I still consider to be probably the greatest luck and maybe one of the very best decisions that I've made in my entire life. I'm a dedicated UI supporter um, because of that. Um, I, I went there because it was the right intersection of in-state and, uh, and good computer science and got extraordinarily lucky because the web, as we know it, was basically created on my campus while I was there. I knew I wanted to create startups and build build projects and products on this new platform that was, was built in front of me. My 
computer scientific interest was in cryptography, science of creating and breaking codes, securing communications, things like that. I wanted to work for the NSA, but they wouldn't give me an internship because I wasn't a citizen. And so uh, I, I ended up, uh, true story, I, I, I was attempting to convince uh, uh, folks from the National Security Agency while I was you know, looking for an internship, I think maybe after my, uh, my junior year, to take me on. And they're very excited because they didn't have a lot of applicants. And I said, by the way, I was born in Soviet Union and I still am not really eligible to be a citizen. It, it'll be a few more years before I'm allowed. And they sort of said, oh, okay. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I once complained to someone who used to run the National Security Agency about this, the fact that how they, uh, you know, they excluded me. And he said, well, what are you complaining about? It worked out okay for you. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I take that. I, I, I take that fully. But um, so I, when I moved to Palo Alto after graduating, I was looking for ideas and, and con- concepts to start a company around. I met this guy, Peter Thiel, sort of randomly and told him I'm going to start a company. He is one of these people who just gets excited about the idea of new business, new companies that are what sort of gets them jazzed and going every morning. He said, great, tell me about your ideas. And I said, well, I have all these things, but one that was currently really interesting to me is I think the world's going to have these really small small computers and everyone's going to walk around with a tiny communication device that can do basic computation. Keep in mind, this is 1999. Or 98, 98. And so this is the only example of this is a Palm Pilot. So this is a long, long, long before iPhones and all the other really cool phones that we have now. So this is just a very, very basic. But there's first glimpse, you know, general magic and all these devices are around. And so they're all terrible. They're, they're, they will never work. But I sort of believe that that's where the world is going to. And I thought someone's going to have to figure out how to secure communications and data on these new computers that are going to live in your pocket. So I pitched Peter on that idea and started a company with his backing. So the original idea behind PayPal was actually this kind of a quaint notion that we're going to want to encrypt documents on our computer-enabled phones whenever such things happen. As we tried to build, and I also eventually convinced Peter to become the CEO so I could focus on technology, as we poked around the idea, we realized that the market was not just not there, didn't really exist yet, so on and so forth, but we kept on running into this notion that, well, the first thing people would want to secure, if there were computers that would fit into your pocket or you know, even even laptops, they would want to secure money. Like Money is the thing that people just always want to keep safe. And so we kind of naturally drifted to this idea of another sort of famous, now famous PayPal character, Reed Hoffman, at some point told Peter and me, hey, you guys are banding around this whole money idea. How about IOUs? That's not even real money. It's a, it's a document. You're talking about encrypting documents. How about encrypting IOUs? So one by one, these little things fell into place. Sounds like it. It sounds like it. But you know, later PayPal was acquired by eBay in 2002 for more than a billion dollars. But that's what I find fascinating. Even with that huge deal, you actually found yourself in some credit trouble when you tried, what, buying a car and your credit score wasn't up to par? Fast yes. forward to today, and that's what brought you to found and create and be the CEO of a firm, the financial lending service. But what was it like when you, even as a multi-multi-millionaire, you ran into credit trouble? It's actually a great uh, cautionary tale. Um, and uh, embarrassing as it is, uh, I have lots of now funny back then terrifying stories. So when I was in college, 
Uh, so you know, I came to the U.S. for the last two years of high school. My knowledge of uh, what might have been quaintly called home economics was non-existent. And so I got to campus. This was before CARD Act. Uh, within the first 15 minutes, someone grabbed me in the street corner and said, would you like to open a credit card account? Because I'll give you a free T-shirt. And I thought, I don't know what the credit cards really are, but I would like a free T-shirt. And so before you know it, I had a credit card. I was not, however, true story, aware of the fact that you have to make the minimum payment. No one's really clued me into it. And I think my parents were certainly no better equipped to, to deal with that. And so as I was trying to start my very first company on campus, I promptly ran up credit card debt. And by today's standards or by anyone's standards, I think that was a, a laughable amount. I, I may have been $200 in debt, but that was enough to not be able to pay my bills because my first startup very predictably failed. And so after three months of being on the hook for $200 and not making any minimum payments. For one, I didn't know I was supposed to. For two, I didn't actually have any money and I was too proud to ask my parents for help first. Um, I got a call from a collection agent telling me, hey, your credit score is gonna really take a serious hit if you don't do something about this. And I said, I honestly have nothing to my name right now. I'm working two jobs, I'm gonna make ends meet, but I gotta pay tuition, I gotta pay for books. You know, what can I do? And the person said, look, I feel your pain, but your FICO score is gonna take a hit. And so it did, and I had no idea how important that was until after PayPal IPO, I tried to buy a car, which I thought was only appropriate because uh, finally I could afford my own wheels, to be pretty bluntly denied credit at a dealership right in front of my girlfriend, now wife, and one of, one of my co-founders. And uh, that, that particular sting stayed with me and became subject of ridicule far and wide in the PayPal circles, of course. But the, the thing that was very amusing about that story is not only did I, at that point, one, I certainly paid off all of my obligations to the credit cards from my college days. I'd also never been late or delinquent on any other bill. Moreover, the dealer told me, hey, I know who you are. Your company just went public, didn't it? You guys are the PayPal guys. And so yeah, well, great. Here I am to buy myself a nice car. I'm, I'm so sorry, you're good but your credit isn't, so you're gonna have to pay cash. And that, I, I, it's, it's a, probably too detailed a story, but that stayed with me. And uh, the, the the real conclusion isn't, it's, you know, it, it, it's important to pay all your bills on time all the time. It's the, if you make a misstep or just have a, an unfortunate event in your life, your credit score follows you for a long, long time. That was almost five or five and a half years after and I noticed that it took another seven years for my FICO score to fully, fully recover, which is an amazingly long time, given the speed with which careers change and young people going from being in school debt to having wonderful and paying jobs. That was the inspiration behind a firm where I thought we should build a better credit score, a system that would take into account that people today live much faster changing careers and lives and not push them into inferior credit products. I think you know, paying cash for a car was nice for someone who just had a successful IPO, but what would have happened is I probably wouldn't have transacted at all or gotten myself into some sort of a crazy high interest loan with terrible penalties, which would have been even worse because it would have pushed me down into a debt cycle that so many people in this country are pushed into every day. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That experience led you to realize that there wasn't really an option out there for people who would like to buy items, whether they are big ticket or a pair of shoes, but didn't exactly have that stellar credit for a credit card, but this way they would be able to buy what they want, but pay on their own schedule, correct? That's where it began. It actually expanded. So that was the, that was the first thought. And uh, we built our own credit score and we put it to work by saying, hey, you know what? We will try to lend money to folks, company being founded by a bunch of computer scientists wasn't exactly well positioned to start marketing itself. And so what we did almost accidentally is we met with a couple of friends of ours that are online retailers. And we asked them, would you consider adding a pay over time option as an alternative to credit cards right alongside Visa, MasterCard, et cetera? And at the time, of course, no one knew who a firm was, but people knew me and people knew that I had a little bit to do with payments in the past. And so they decided to give us a shot. The shocking discovery that our merchant, earliest merchant partners, and now we have many thousands of those had, was there was an instant and very, very measurable increase in sales. We delivered double digit growth in sales to every partner that would add a firm as a checkout option. And... We start trying to understand why. And of course, the initial reaction is, well, there are folks that don't qualify for credit cards. And so alternative access to credit is a nice thing for them. It's great. But because I built the product the way I wanted to see pay over time, we actually realized that it's much, much, much broader applicable. So the fundamental design tenet behind a firm is that we do not want to benefit from your mistakes or your misfortunes. And it's a profoundly important thing that just is visible throughout the product everywhere. So for example, we don't charge any fees to consumers of any kind, including no late fees, which means that when you say, I'm going to pay for this thousand dollar item, an engagement ring or a bicycle, whatever it is, and we we finance many, many, many of each of those, um, and the total interest that you will pay will be another $50, we commit to you that from now on and until you're done paying off $1,050, we will never charge you a penny more. If you're late, if you can't make your payment on time, if you need something to, you need a little bit more extra time, we will not change the price. The commitment we make to you. Okay, wait, wait. I have to jump in there, Max. How many people hold to that and the schedule? And I guess maybe the same question on the other side is how many people have just stopped paying and what do you do then? So the... 
interesting thing about people is that if you treat them with respect and you are extremely clear and transparent, they seem to do the same for you. Our default rates and delinquency rates have always been lower than credit cards. And that may be a shocking statistic, but I think people generally appreciate the clarity and understand that a payment schedule is a payment schedule and they need to commit to it. Now, the flip side is if someone contacts you and says, my life has been affected by coronavirus, I cannot make this payment, you have to be able to offer them tools. You have to be able to say, okay, we will work with you. You still owe us the money. We can't forgive the loan. We don't make money if you're late. We don't charge you fees. We don't have some sort of a clever trick that makes us more money if you're late, which is how credit cards make money. But we still need to work with you to figure out a way to uh, to make sure that you, you eventually pay us off. But it, the this idea of customer centricity, making sure that the person knows that they're expected to be a responsible adult and we in turn will be responsible adults to them, seems to have really worked. And our customer base has been primarily millennials and uh, you know, some Gen X, some Gen Z, but the generation of shoppers that fundamentally mistrusts banks and credit cards seems to have really taken to this idea that this extreme clarity of here's what the price is, here's the total number of dollars, here's how many payments you'll make. And at the end of it, there's no more, there's no more balance, there's no more final payments or no, no tricks really resonated with them. And so, so that that's what we've been doing the last almost a decade Max, you're such a big thinker. We're all facing such a difficult time right now with the coronavirus. You know, when you emigrated from the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union to America, you, I would imagine, went through difficult times. Do you remember any of those times and what felt so confusing and unknown to you and how you made it through? Anything that you could sort of expound upon that will help people listening right now to maybe glean something from that and move forward? You know, I think this time is honestly unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. I think this is a, this is a, a tragedy of incredible proportion. It, it, it's just, it's, it's very hard to even fully fathom. You know, thankfully, no one in my immediate family has been impacted, but every time a phone rings, you brace for the, some sort of horrible news. And so I, I think it's, it's just, this, this is such a different thing, it's unprecedented. That said, you know, I'm old enough to have lived through Chernobyl, through 9-11, through 08. And every time the thing that I found most amazing, and it, you know, it was true both here and in the old country, but the thing that makes America unique, to me at least, as an immigrant, I think you get this in just a little bit more contrast. People in the US come together as a nation, as a people, as a as a affinity group in such force, it is unbelievable. Like I was talking to someone last night, one of one of my best friends, and uh, he he asked me sort of gradually, do you think a virus can really put America down? And I, I no, I, I do not have a second thought in my mind. Like it's horrible right now. It's probably gonna get worse before it gets better. There's no question in my mind it will get better. We, we will see this in the rear view mirror and it's you know it's gonna sting for a long time in, in some terrible ways, even for those who didn't lose a loved one in this. But the high order bit, as they say in, in computer science, is the way the country is coming together. People are putting aside their partisan differences, their political 
debates one by one, all the layers of us and them is being stripped away. And we're all just the same exact person struggling and in pain, but coming together to help one another. And I think that's, that that's the profound thing that keeps me going every day. I, I look outside and I see my neighbors trying to maintain normalcy, just like, uh, just like I am you know, six or more feet away from each other and we can smile and, and survive another day. Max Levchin, founder of PayPal and founder and CEO of a firm. Good luck to you. And thank you so very much for joining us. Hang in there. Thank you. Thank you. And by the way, hang in there to all of you guys out there. And uh, I hope as you quarantine or self-distance, come join me 3 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday on the Fox Business Network. We are giving you all the latest news. This is very much a financial story. Millions of you are unemployed right now due to the coronavirus. We're getting you all the tools we need and that you need to know what's going on with your investments, the stock market, your 401ks, and of course, the future. So stay with us. I'll see you then. And thanks for joining us on Everyone Talks to Liz. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.